0: Dear friends, we finally reached the point to launch out and to dive deep into Jesus' Beatitudes. So let our prayer be that God will open our eyes for His truth and His work within us. Throughout the scriptures, Beatitudes are not uncommon. There are about 30 of them throughout the Bible statements which clearly define who are the blessed people according to God's standards. You'll notice that none of these 30 are connected to possessions or positions in life, but all of them are connected to having certain characters or relationships or possess a certain knowledge. What we learn from that is that God mostly declares you to be blessed by who you are and who you are related to and not by any outward things like positions or possessions, either materially or socially. So let's never lose sight of the comforting and assuring truth that it is none else but the king of the kingdom, Jesus Christ, who declares you blessed in these scriptures. That means that if you possess within you the inner person, this inner identity, this new identity sketched in the Beatitudes, then Jesus declares you beyond what heaven and earth can ever give you, blessed, blessed, seven times over. Please don't allow yourself to be robbed of this great comfort and encouragement. Don't allow anyone to trick you with saying, well, you need something more than this. You need some special divine whisper or divine vision to own these comforts to be yours. It's true that... In some measure, we need the Holy Spirit to enable us to read God's own evidences of grace in us because within us, there's a lot else going on than what these Beatitudes are speaking of. But nowhere does Jesus say that we need more than being born again in order to know we are blessed. Please also avoid the error of basing your hope on what you see within yourselves. For as we examine each line of thought in this beatitude list, you'll see many shortcomings within yourself. And Do then exactly what you do or should be doing with little children. Even though they fail because of their youthfulness or their immaturity or their clumsiness, we encourage them, we build them up. We remind them of how special they are. How, or we correct them and instruct them and help them to grow. But we don't throw them under the bus as if they're no good just because here and there they fail. And so we ought not to do that with those who are Christ. In the blessed are, we're listening to Jesus, Christ himself. He divinely declares you blessed. If you measure up to this, believe him, trust him, embrace what he declares. And that and that only is the reason to rejoice, even if others reject you or mock you, or as it says in the end, persecute you. Blessed are. Now the definition of the word blessed is hard to capture in one word, blissful, happy, privileged, blessed, the word hints at something that exceeds anything we can ever possess in this life. Like if you gain the whole world in your hand, you still hold less than one grain of sand compared to the entire universe around us. And yet even that comparison fails entirely. For even if you gained, the entire universe it won't satisfy it. It will never stay with us. For we all know we are to die and need to let go whatever we have in this life. It matters that Jesus calls blessed. Now these character issues are the evidences of a new creation, of a spiritual life that has an eternal dimension, that has an infinite duration, as it will never fade. So let's examine the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus declares you blessed if you are poor in spirit. Let's ask, what is that then, to be poor in spirit? And secondly, why are you blessed if you are poor in spirit? So what is it then, to be poor in spirit? Let's first look at these words. To be poor in spirit is not the same as to be poor. This beatitude has nothing to do with material or physical or social poverty. Any interpretation that leans into that direction is turning Jesus' teaching in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount into some social gospel. Now, Of course, Jesus' teaching in both the Old and the New has much to say about the poor and about the oppressed and how we as Christians should minister to them and then represent the care and the love of God. Uh, Neglecting to, to take care of the poor is a sore evil. Yet this beatitude is not dealing with that sort of poverty. It's dealing with a spiritual poverty or a spiritual disposition of the heart about our own poverty. So to be poor in spirit is also not the same as to be spiritually poor. Each of us is born spiritually poor as a result of what Genesis 3 tells us, our fall from our glorious beginning. We are therefore now spiritually poor in the sense that we are helpless. <clears throat> We're powerless to restore, powerless uh, to change from the condition that we are now back to the condition God spoke about in Genesis 1 and 2. When you read Genesis 6 verse 5, it's quite shocking what God says. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a very bleak and black statement. This same truth is a New Testament, a truth, the spiritual depravity emphasized in Romans 3, verse 10 to 18. And Paul writes there as he concludes from all the teaching in the old, as it is written, In the old, there's none righteous. There's not one. There's none that is totally perfect. There's none that understandeth. There's even none that seeks after God uprightly, truly. They're all gone out of the way. They're altogether become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. That sounds radical, but that is what the Scriptures confirm over and over. And so, we are all spiritually poor. Yet Jesus is not saying that this is what poor in spirit is. Because normally we don't see this in ourselves. We we are proud. We can be very self-satisfied or very conceited, arrogant about ourselves. We feel rich and able. We feel capable. We feel competent with regard to being good uh, before God and men. It's because we look very shallow at ourselves. In Luke 18, we read about an example of a Pharisee who stood before God, and he has one big rehearsal about himself, about how good he is, and how worthy he was, and therefore how entitled to salvation. Now, perhaps none of us would really blow our own trumpet publicly like he did. Yet this is our inner attitude. In our inner attitude we're not far from making these rehearsals about ourselves. For let's be honest, we simply think the world of ourselves. So to be spiritually poor is in no way what Jesus is teaching us in the first beatitude. What then? To be poor in spirit is a mindset that is growing increasingly aware of one's own spiritual poverty. Now, to see this spiritual poverty, we, we can need a reference point to compare to, to see our own poverty. Now, that reference point are the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. And the study of those truths in comparison where we are now, also as mankind together, is the spirit means to bring us to be to this being poor in spirit mindset. Friends, we have fallen so deeply from our original glory, from our original blessedness, happiness, or joy. If you open Genesis 1 and 2 and read through it, it informs us of a beautiful truth. First, that God placed us in a perfect and a splendid living place where we lived in the most beautiful. And the most soul satisfying communion with God and with each other as humans and with all of nature around us. Nothing out of place, no sickness, no ill feelings, nothing. And place without thorns and thistles, without sickness and sadness, and place without fear and flaw. Something we can hardly imagine. Besides, the living place. We were the masterpiece of God's creative power and wisdom. Genesis 1 tells us we were made to reflect the image of God. In what? Mostly in the devotional love, in the holiness or sinlessness of our living, to Him, to each other, and to nature around us. We were living and moving temples dedicated to and filled with God. So contrary to now, then we were spiritually rich. What does that mean? We were able to serve our God and Creator in loving service with all of our being and all of our strength and all of our mind. We were able to purely serve our neighbor in total self-denial, in love. And we were able to manage the earth and explore and invent and develop and engineer without ever bringing discredit to our Creator. There was then absolutely nothing wrong in us. There was no bent to sin. There was no battle with temptations to be selfish. There were not these embarrassing, filthy imaginations we would dare to share today. There was no inner weakness or flaws that would lead us to stumble despite our best efforts. We were spiritually rich. Now, in contrast to that today, we are now radically poor. The Greek word that Jesus uses for poor is someone who is bankrupt. He says, totally penniless. Not just poor, but nothing else anymore. Let's start the poor in spirit, the bankrupt. Now, how true is that description spiritually? We are indeed completely spiritually destitute and needy. We lack every quality in ourselves to be right and to do right before God, all-seeing eye, according to his standards. We can't love God with all our heart and all our mind and all our strength and every ounce of our being at all times, in all situations. And we don't love, we can't love every neighbor as we love ourselves in the same degree as Jesus loved even his enemies. Now, we miss that ability to love. We also miss the ability to make things right between God and us. We simply don't have the righteousness anymore. For all we try to be or to do before God fails to bridge the breach as all falls short of the glory of God and the satisfying of the demands of His holiness and justice. So before we look at the second half of this verse, let's pause for one moment. Imagine you're sitting in a doctor's office. and He rolls out the x-ray in front of you. And he reads to you the devastating report that that tells you. You don't only have cancer, he says. You have cancer in every organ, in every muscle, in every nerve, and all over your skin. And as you're trying to process this devastating truth, sinking into your mind, and as you kind of sense the evidences of it in your body, imagine that your doctor says to you, well, my friend, you are a blessed man. Congratulations. Wouldn't you look a little bewildered at him? Wouldn't you feel the urge to run out of the office? At least, wouldn't you raise your voice to reject his congratulations? That's kind of the essence of what Jesus did, didn't he? Blessed are you if you are poor in spirit. And, and not only that, mourn and meek and hunger. Jesus calls you blessed when you're dealing with spiritual poverty, when you grieve and feel guilty, when there's a gnawing spiritual hunger. What's the point? Why would he call such blessed? Well, that's our second thought then. Why are you blessed if you feel or if you see? and am poor in spirit now let's be clear to be spiritually poor or to be poor in spirit or to discover this spiritual bankruptcy it's not a blessing in itself uh, jesus is not glorifying poverty he's not relishing negative feelings he didn't say either And please keep it in mind, in all of these statements, he didn't say you are blessed when you feel poor in spirit, or you feel mournful, or you feel hungry. Yes, feelings are reflected in these first four Beatitudes, but they aren't sweet, they aren't exciting, they aren't comfortable. Now, if you would only understand these statements from the feeling perspective, It will be impossible to understand why he calls such people blessed. Yet, blessed are the poor in spirit. He declares you are blessed. If you are poor in spirit, as a fruit of a growing understanding of your spiritual and moral bankruptcy. And there are three reasons why you are blessed. The first one is because you bear one evidence of the saving work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. This poor in spirit be attitude isn't the fruit of some self-reflection. It's not the fruit of some mental depression. It's not just a negativity of mind. Yeah? Though all of those above can bring a sense of need or poverty and sadness, none of them bring a sense of mourning and grief over the sins I did, or a meekness before God and others, or a hunger and a thirst after the righteousness in Jesus Christ. But this poor in spirit beatitude is fruit of the Holy Spirit's saving ministry. Without his personal ministry in us, we remain spiritually blind for our own selves, We remain unconcerned about the condition we're in, unmoved. But as a fruit of this saving touch of God, he is preparing our heart for greater blessings than the humanity or the earth can ever give or reach out to us. It's his preparation for what is coming next. It's the first reason why it's blessed. The second reason why it's blessed, because it is through this discovery that the Holy Spirit leads us to the feet of Jesus Christ, the King of the kingdom. Now, Jesus Christ, who's preaching these Beatitudes, had many listeners who were very impressed. You'll notice that every time in his messages, many came to listen. At the end of this sermon, we already heard it came to pass when Jesus ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his doctrine for yeah he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes so jesus many admirers who followed him for days weeks months and yet at the end of most of this ministry these admirers turned away and the number became smaller and smaller finally they rejected him why But it's because they never embraced the main purpose of Jesus' spiritual ministry. Many wanted him simply to cast off the oppressive government systems. They wanted him to take the lead, to take away the physical sicknesses. They wanted him to make everyone healthy and wealthy, like in the days of David and Solomon. But that was not Jesus' main ministry. His ministry on earth is not with that intention or that purpose. The angel announced to Joseph in Matthew 1 verse 21 about the coming of Jesus. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, from their wrong, from their unbelief, from all that evil, that is in us and takes hold of us and around us. The Holy Spirit's ministry, friends, is to glorify Jesus Christ and to make that person of Jesus irresistible to your heart as a physician of your soul, as the one who can bridge the gap between you and your Creator with His atoning blood, as the one who is able to provide us the perfect obedience, the righteousness, that we need, will we stand in the presence of the Almighty and Holy God. That righteousness. We don't have. We are spiritually bankrupt. Now, to accomplish that, the Holy Spirit makes us aware of our real spiritual need and the need of our radical poverty and ability to make amends and satisfies God's demands is his preparatory work to lead us to the feet of Jesus Christ and the cross of him. Now, this painful awareness of our spiritual poverty makes you diligent to seek him. It's going to make you diligent to inquire, how can I be saved from this reality? So that is the preparatory attitude by which the Spirit makes us ready to come to Jesus Christ as the provision of the Father of heaven and earth to meet our needs. Now, and lastly, the third reason why you're blessed when you are poor in spirit is the promise. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. On earth already. Talk about an astonishing truth. To these spiritual destitute people, who are bankrupt, humbled, broken about this lost and poor condition, unable to restore it, he says, to you belongs the kingdom of heaven. That means everything that belongs to the kingdom of heaven is yours already and will be so forever. In other words, these poor in spirit are not poor at all. All the blessings, all the riches, all the security, the provision, the promises, the content of God's gracious redemption and his future kingdom belongs to these already. In 2 Samuel 9, we read about King David. He brings a paralyzed and impoverished son of Jonathan, to his palace, and David tells him when he is there in his palace, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and I will restore to thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Now upon hearing that, uh, Mephibosheth, that's his name, he bowed before the king in stunned amazement. Now keep that picture in mind. Each born-again soul is like that paralyzed Mephibosheth, taken up by King David. Though in some way you will be like Mephibosheth, you'll remain spiritually poor in your own estimation about yourself all this life. Yet, You are part of Jesus' kingdom of heaven already. You live on heaven's cost. And as Paul writes, neither death, nor life, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to oust you out of that kingdom of heaven. Therefore, you are blessed. So in review of what we learned today, let me uh, state two closing observations about this first beatitude. First, spiritual life, real spiritual life, always accompanied with a convicting and humbling sense of our spiritual poverty. The Spirit-Saving Ministry teaches us what John Newton, the old slave trader saved by grace, Amazing Grace, the author of that hymn, he once said quite powerfully, he says with regard to my salvation i have nothing i am nothing i can do nothing i can change nothing i can give nothing and i may add to it and yet i have everything in christ At that continually poor condition of spiritual poverty it's what the Apostle Paul also experienced as he says, O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? It remains with us all our life, but not beyond. And secondly, the blessedness Jesus declares is not gauged in the feelings or experiences. For spiritual poverty is not a nice feeling. And yet it is the common way that God uses to make our souls seek for the remedy in Jesus Christ. No one of us like pain, physical pain. But physical pain is no blessing in itself, and yet it is a blessing. For it alerts us there's some serious problem in your body that needs attention. Think of that when you think of this first beatitude. As Matthew Henry comments, this poverty in spirit is a gracious disposition of the soul whereby we are emptied of self in order to be filled with Christ. So therefore, this conviction that we are nothing and void of all before our holy God is a foundational aspect of all spiritual growth. So may God bless this exposition of the first beatitude. And then we will be ready to move on to the next one. Uh, Blessed are they that morn. So thank you. And may God bless you and make you a blessing.